Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Twenty WGN. Hello, it's Amy Guth in for Brian Noonan. Thanks for being with me today. Here's where everyone clicks away. Oh, Noonan's not here. Oh my gosh, it's Guth. Just kidding. Thanks for staying with us. Um, we have lots to do today. Lots to talk about. Lots of things. We are getting a visit here. Just on the other side of news, we are going to be talking with author Emily Belden. We have talked to her before about her last book, but her new book is out and it sounds super good. And I cannot wait to talk to her about it. And she's got an update on what has occurred with that first book because there are many things. It has, it has climbed many mountains. So we're going to be talking to her about that. And because it is Earth Day, we're going to be talking about a lot of things related to Earth Day including we're going to be talking with Susan Mudd, who is a senior policy advocate at the Environmental Law and Policy Center right here in Chicago, about a really interesting local aspect of environmental justice. So we're going to be talking about that. But I also want to hear from you. 312-981-7200. I want to hear from you about Earth Day, about all the things on your mind. Give us a call and you will speak with esteemed producer Ben Anderson. That will be the friendly voice on the other end of the phone when you call. Um, also, there is a story that is driving many people crazy on the internet at the moment. It, uh, it kind of kicked up over a Cosmo interview, and I want to talk about that because, okay, here's what occurred. Ross Butler, who is on that uh, 13 Reasons Why, let me tell you, I did not know who this man was until today because I'm not a big viewer of things. Uh, but nonetheless, he gave this very wide ranging interview to Cosmo and he talked about a lot of different things. Uh, one of them was why he chose not to date until his twenties. Sure, dude, couch that like it's a choice. That's, that's fine. Um, but he, another thing that he said was he was talking about, uh, on the subject of dating, he started talking about, like how women should get a man's attention. And a lot of people, and understandably so, were really angry with this because it was very old-fashioned advice, I thought, personally. I mean, there were many things wrong with it. Let me read to you the quote, and then I want to hear from you about it. Either at pro, con, advice, you have, whatever. I want to talk about it because it's so ridiculous, right? Okay, this is what he said. He said, the way to a guy's heart is through his hobbies, Find out what he's passionate about, and if you really love him, get into that too. If I meet a girl who can talk video games, guitar, cooking, or good books, it's a huge turn-on. And lots of guys like to teach, so if you can get hands-on with learning, I'm telling you, you'll get there. Oh my God. There's so many. Let, let us let us pick this apart, shall we? Let, it, let us discuss the ways that I am taking issue with this, as did many people on the interwebs. Okay, first of all, the like the whole idea of like, go get a man's attention. How about he can he can come get yours? <laughs> right, let's start there. I think it's a little old fashioned to be like telling women how to go get men. Also, it's to me, this whole quote is really encouraging women not to be themselves. It's saying like adopt interests that you may not actually have just to go get a guy's attention, in which case then you're stuck with a guy you have nothing in common with. And then what's your plan? 
further, and I know this is a contentious issue and people get all bent out of shape about it. However, um, Ross Butler is 27 years old. And so for him to be talking about dating partners as girls, that presents a problem because I assume he means women, but I'm assuming he's dating women who are over 18. So I'm uh, you know, you see where I'm going with this. He shouldn't be saying girls. He should, he should be saying women unless he's choosing to date underage women. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Then it's kind of, to me, it kind of also points out, and this is sort of like sparked some side conversation a little bit in, in the many areas online where people are upset about this, this quote of as if a woman couldn't be into those things on her own. Like you couldn't be into guitars or video games or books on your own. Like you'd, you'd only be into those things for a dude. And then, and then to add insult to injury, the whole like teaching thing, like go get a guy to teach you this stuff. This is, I don't know what year it is, but oh my God, come on. It is not 1955 and we don't need to be giving out advice like that. So, um, but I want to hear from you on this topic because I think it is so cringeworthy. It's, it's one of those like, easy to ignore because it's not that big a deal. And it's like, who is this guy anyway? But it's also it sparked so much conversation on so many social media platforms. I cannot help but think we got opinions about it. We got to talk about it. There are things. Okay. So again, 312-981-7200. We're going to take a little break and we come back. Let us talk about it. I want to hear from you back in just a bit. Amy Guth in for Brian Noonan here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN, Amy Guth in for Brian Noonan, chilling with you today until seven o'clock, hanging out, talking about all the things. You know, I got to say, I really enjoy doing fill-ins. I mean, anytime I can be here is always a joy, but... You know, why I, I do like the business lunch show, which is very focused around business and economic stuff. And then I do Saturday night special, which I super love because we get to dig very deeply into a single topic for two hours with lots of super smart people and think about, you know, learn from them. And we all learn together from them. But I get all these other, you know, pitches for cool stuff that's going on. And I'm like, I don't have a place to put people. So when I do fill ins, that's when I get to put all kind of cool other stuff on. And because it is Earth Day, we are going to be talking with Susan Mudd from the Environmental Law and Policy Center right here in Chicago. We're going to be talking with her in the six o'clock hour about a really interesting local story that is connected to the uh, Volkswagen diesel settlement. It's really interesting and it has a lot to do, uh, lots going on with it right here in Illinois. So we're going to be talking with her all about that. And coming up at 530, we're going to be talking with author Emily Belden, who we have talked to before when her first book called 86, it was a memoir. It came out and we talked to her right here on this station uh, about that very, very hilarious and wonderful book. And now she has written a novel. And so we're going to be talking with her about that. It is called Hot Mess and I highly recommend you read it. So we're going to be doing all that. But before we go to news, we were talking about this quote that I read it and kept swiping today. I was looking on my phone and I was like, that's so stupid. Who is that anyway? But this is what happened. So there's an actor from 13 Reasons Why, and he gave this interview on Cosmo about dating. And it's infuriated a lot of people. And and I was quick to ignore it. But then I realized how many people in my social media networks were were really angry about it. So I had to go back and kind of dig into it because there's a lot of things to be angry about with it. Essentially, he was giving dating advice. He was saying like, you know, women, here's how to get a man's attention. Only there's a couple things wrong. Number one, he didn't say women, he said girls and he's 27. So like, be cool. Like it's, it's 2018. Be cool. Don't be, don't be saying girls. Um, he was also basically saying like, 
pretend like feign interest in hobbies in order to get a man's attention. So I just thought that was so ridiculous. Anyway, 312-981-7200. Give us a call. Let's talk about it or terrible dating advice that you have heard. I would love to hear it because I know we've all heard just ridiculous stuff from like people with good intentions and people with not so good intentions. So um, esteemed producer Ben Anderson, what do you think about this quote? Do you think um, people are overreacting? Or are you on board with uh, the outrage? Oh, I can't even hear you. There you go. Uh, oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm I'm on board with the outrage. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You know, I'm I'm a little bit older now and wiser, so I I don't want to date a girl. I want to date a woman. Right, because that, I mean that's the thing. Like. I know people like my grandfather and I have had this conversation before, right? He would be like, oh, but it's if, if someone calls you a girl, it's like it's flattering. It's about youth. I'm like, right. But if you're over 18, can we just like you? You don't do that to men, uh-huh. right? Like once a guy is over, you know, once he's an adult, people like we don't say boy anymore. You yeah. just don't do that. Yeah. So don't say girl. Be cool about it. This is where texters start saying like horrible things about me for being a stick in the mud but i don't care because it's the reality of the situation is once you're 18 you're a woman so there's that but then the part i think that there are two parts that really irk me to death and one i would love to hear your opinion about ben um one of them is kind of this idea of like (laughs) feigning interest in hobbies which i think is ridiculous because then you're stuck with a partner um that you do not have anything in common with um but the other part is this line and it says um and lots of guys like to teach. So if you can get hands on with learning these like topics he's just listed, I'm telling you, you'll get there. That that is such a problematic sentence because it's like, if you can be like, golly, I don't know anything about video games. Will you just teach me? Like, that's terrible and stupid. And it you're walking in with this just goofy, you know, power imbalance. And uh-huh. there's lots wrong with yep. it. Anyway, what what say you? I've always liked the route. I mean, for me, yeah, I like being able to do something with someone where we both get to learn together, right? Because yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of like it's nice to have that balance of each other, like teaching sure you know, something, but I don't like it being one way because and then I feel like I don't evolve as a person and, <laughs> in the relationship. And also, like what? <laughs> I don't know. I just think that's so old fashioned and silly. And the more I think about it, the more it drives me crazy. And right, I hear that, right? It's like, hey, I don't know how to do this one thing, but but you, you know, you trade skills when you're seeing someone. You know, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I didn't like this kind of music until you kind of introduced me to it. And likewise, you didn't like my kind of music and you, whatever, you pick up things or, you know, you didn't know how to cook or something like that. But, and you sort of, tr- you skill share when you're dating somebody. But this idea of approaching a relationship with like, oh, golly, teach me things, it just sounds like so goofy. And I'm with you. I mean, I think, you know, like fun dates are ones where you can like go learn a dance or uh-huh. how to, I don't know, throw axes or like whatever. The you thing know, is. it's so funny you say that because at the last uh, radio recess we did. I missed here, that one. It was it, axe throwing. It, no, no, it wasn't the axe throwing. It was the archery tag. Oh, that's right. Two radio recesses so, ago. Which, it, if you don't know what we're talking about, there is a thing where all the hosts and and everybody that works behind the scenes and in front of the microphone and just all of us, the whole WGN Radio family, we like go on this, we call them the radio recess and we go do fun stuff. There's been like, um, like there was one where we did roller derby. And I saw stars oh, for like three I, I days. I missed that one. <laughs> it was over the summer. And I uh, I had a helmet on, but I hit my head quite hard. 
and really at one point i was like te- i was saying like can can y'all text me in a, in an hour make sure i'm still alive it was that kind of thing but anyway so there was the archery thing yeah it, so we were there for archery tag but apparently this company it, so it think dodgeball but with bows and arrows. So you shoot people with the arrow? Yeah, but I mean, it's got like this giant foam marshmallow tip thing. Okay, so it's like Nerf bag situation. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but it's a real bow and arrow, which is, I mean, which is pretty cool. But what the, uh, what the instructors were telling us was that they do a lot of like open shooting and instruction and everything. So they do couples nights with this, where you can go in with your significant other and learn to shoot. Uh, bow and arrow but and wait so, do you shoot each other or do you no, shoot no, on no, the no, same no, team no just like at, at targets but okay. you get to learn together See, and yes. they set up a date night there for it so See, that's it's a much better idea yeah, something different to do that i never would have thought of yeah i mean this whole quote we're talking about this ross butler quote if you're just tuning in but this whole quote really boils down to authenticity to me because it's asking what it's implying is that there, it doesn't matter what you are personally into. It's like if you have your sights set on somebody, go internet stalk them, find out what they're into, and become that person. Which just sounds like a really lousy deal. And that would just why would you want to date somebody who are like, hmm, I've now been pretending to like whatever TV series for years because I really wanted to date this person. <laughs> like, well, if you don't have anything in common, you don't have anything in common. And mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're not compatible, you're not compatible. And if you're, you know, so like if you're faking it, I just think that's a really terrible foot to start off on yeah I, I agree yeah i agree but there is a lot there are also some very hilarious tweets in response to this so if you go on twitter um it's in the twitter moments area so you can find it very easily but just search ross butler and you'll see the whole thing and uh you know you can see all the many responses where people took issue with all the aspects of it that i named <laughs> many, many of them. Um, but, you know, and rightly so, because I thought it was ridiculous. And again, I didn't really think it was that big deal, because honestly, I'd never heard of the guy, because I didn't watch that show. Um, never heard of the guy until I I kept swiping through Twitter and realized how many people were angry about it. And then I was like, okay, there's something here. We'll talk about it. We'll get to the bottom of it. But here's my two cents. Just you do you, because the idea of like being... In a dating situation with somebody under false pretenses, under false pretenses sounds very lousy for both of you because then they think they have, um, you know, found someone who shares their interests and you have like, I don't know, manufactured a personality to get a date. And let's, let's not do that. Let's not, let's not project desperation. Let's just be ourselves and, and everything will be okay. I'm sure of it. Okay. We're going to take a break and we're going to go to news. And when we come back, we're talking with author Emily Belden to hear about all the things she's up to, which is a lot of stuff. So we're on that here in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. Hello, it's Amy Guthin for Brian Noonan today. Thanks for being with us. Always grateful to you for sharing part of your day with me. Okay, I promised you a very exciting guest, and I am here to deliver on that promise. We are joined in studio by 
the one and only Emily Belden. She is a Chicago-based freelance food writer, storyteller, and author. We talked to her a couple years ago about her first book. It was called 86. It was a memoir. It is very good. I recommend you get it. And we're going to hear about an interesting update with that. But she is here now to talk about her debut novel. It is called Hot Mess. It is, it's got everything. All the good vices, right? It's got food. It's got drugs. It's got money. It's got all the things. Emily, welcome back to the show. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much. So tell us about Hot Mess. So Hot Mess, uh, like you said, debut novel. So I guess that means it's out now. Um, that was a book that took me about three months to write and three years to come out. So it's so crazy to see it actually in the real world, um, living and breathing and on, on CTA and seeing people read it in the real world. Um, so Hot Mess, like you said, you sufficiently probably scared my mother with that description, <laughs> but it's a little bit of drug, sex, and rock and roll. Um, but basically, you know, I have a protagonist who's a young 20-something who is in social media, like all young 20-somethings seem to be, and she finds herself suddenly entwined in conversation online with an up-and-coming sort of bad boy celebrity chef, um, and the two of them kind of have this unexpected, tumultuous, destructive relationship, and he coaxes her into investing in his restaurant concept on our famed restaurant row, Randolph Street. Um, but just before he's about to open that restaurant, he dips off with a little bit of an addiction issue and leaves her high and dry. Um, so she basically has two choices. One of them is to, you know, say F it and move on or <laughs> just jump right in and figure it out. So it's a story about this girl who has to dominate her career and get her life back in order and you know, it's a hot mess. So yeah, and switch from social media into the restaurant world totally. very quickly. Absolutely goes from zero to a yeah. 100 with that whole thing. So. I, I grew up in a restaurant house. So that part alone will, will, is so fascinating to right. me. I, I love reading about uh, people working in restaurants, be, just because I know that so many aspects of that for my own life. Right. And what I like about it, too, is that, um, you know, it's not a foodie book, necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's you don't even though people like you who know the restaurant industry are going to be, they're going to love it because they're going to follow along. But oh, I think I know where this is or I mm-hmm. think I know who this is about you know that there's sort of a fun aspect to reading it like that but the main character like I said goes from social media into the you know most cutthroat fine dining industry in the United States and uh, so those people who are not really interested in that they don't have to worry about it you won't get lost you're not gonna be alienated because you'll follow along with her journey and go you know and learn as she goes as well mm-hmm. and so why this story how did it find you so, you know, there's some autobiographical elements in there. When I was once in my younger 20s, too, sort of did the thing with the hot bad boy chef. And there was one time that he brought me to a vacant restaurant space. And it was, I think it was in Wicker Park at the time. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as high end as Randolph Street is. But I was like, why am I here? And uh, I mean, there was like investors there. And there was a woman that was slated to be the, quote, general manager of this place. And I'm like, did I, did I miss something? I mean, all I kept thinking is, is what, you know, am I here because he expects me to sort of chip in? for this Mm -hmm. or what you know and nothing ever happened from that the only thing that did happen from that is um, I ended up becoming friends with that quote general manager that had already been picked out so she's actually one of my really good friends today and a few years later her and I were just having some drinks at my pool talking and I just simply said oh my gosh don't you remember when we were at that restaurant like what if I invested in that and she was like oh we'll tell you exactly what would have happened you would have lost all of your money he would have disappeared and you and me would be working 80 hours a week sleeping at that restaurant trying to get your money back that's Mm -hmm. exactly what would have happened and it was so casual like that was it but that was the moment that the book was born for me because it was just a simple what if question and then I was like wow there's a lot of creative room to answer this question and it's a very compelling thing so Mm -hmm. 
And so what has that shift been from going from memoir to fiction? It's been really fun and really interesting. I mean, obviously, writers write what they know. So I did the memoir thing. Like I wrote exactly what my life was like when I was younger in my 20s, trying to figure things out. Date before Uber, date before Tinder, date before iPhone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was actually a thing not that long ago. So, um, you know, I sort of got that out of the way. But then, like I said, I always want to write what I know. Uh, I want that authenticity to come through. So I had enough of a connection to this book to sort of get it going, to sort of get the base for it. But everything else after that was creating this world that didn't exist and like I said answering that what if question however I want to do so I could create characters that didn't exist create situations that didn't exist and for me what I really enjoy about that is that you know readers read a book to escape right Mm -hmm. and right like I do the same thing as a writer I escape but I get to actually control that world and you know I don't have a lot of control in my daily life of just normal things so to be able to sit down and open my computer and decide who is going to be saying what and doing what um, you know that for me does it so yeah and what is your writing process like this is my favorite thing to ask of writers yeah. because I either you have a, a there's I feel like there's people that have a very particular process or there are people that are like you know it's a, it's on scraps of paper in line it doesn't matter and I would would die if I had a process which are you in so it, it was funny because for this book I really saw it in my head start to finish it's such a devourable book it's just it just wrote itself and it reads just the same so for me with this it was a matter of just putting pen to paper like once that first sentence came off my fingertips the rest would just flow so I end most chapters on a real punchy kind of one-liner and I, when I would do that I would know okay I'm d- like this one's done I, it's kind of mm-hmm. like I put the little bow at the end and I before I would close the computer I would write a few bullet points of what I knew needed to happen next and then the next day or the next time I wrote I just knew what I needed to accomplish so it was kind of like just an ebb and a flow um, but and I also only really write at nighttime. My general little rule of thumb is that if it's light outside, I I can't do it. For some reason, I just you know I think what it is is it stems from when I wrote eighty six. I was I was young. I had a full time job. I was trying to also date and work out and do all those things. The only time I could write was like you know started at nine o'clock at night. So I'm sort of classically conditioned to mm-hmm. like when the when the sun goes down, that's when I can be creative. That's when I could kind of pour a glass of wine and let it happen. So even if you gave me the whole day to do it, my writing process still doesn't really kick in till the nighttime. Fortunately, at this point, there's so much sort of business end of this kind of author thing that ha- that can go on during the day. I can answer questions for writers and things like that and um, review cover art for the next book. Those, like, those kinds of tasks can be done during the day. But as far as actually sitting down and putting pen to paper, I still can't do that until it's dark and quiet and I have that time. Interesting. Uh, do you write with music or are you silence? Pretty much I'm a silent mm-hmm. person, which is so weird because I sit down when I write. I don't do it like, oh, I have a half an hour. I'll just get you know, I need like six hours at a time. So mm-hmm. if that is it, it's like sitting alone in a silent room for six hours. And, you know, I've had people that wanted to kind of document the process along the way. And I'm like, it's going to be so boring. It's going to be <laughs> You're silent hate this. and boring. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to do. I mean, it's just that's the funny thing about like a writer. It's yeah. like you kind of close yourself off for an undisclosed period of time. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, a book. It's on the shelf. Here it is. So I don't think people realize what 
goes into it because it's so mental. I, that's one of my favorite parts of Chicago, though. And, and there, well, there are many, but one of them is that there's so many live lit events because I think it's for that reason. Because as writers, you have to kind of scurry away, mm-hmm. block out the world, do your thing, and then it's kind of like I, I haven't talked to another human being yeah. in days. That's I got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, and that's something that I wanted to get into, and I I did. I started last June doing shows here and there, mm-hmm. and you know what's nice about that is that these usually are like five to seven minutes. I think the longest live lit show I did was maybe 10 minutes. Um, But for me, it's like I sit down and work in work on a medium that's like 120,000 words at a time. So for me to take a break from that and talk out loud and deliver something that has a beginning, middle and end in five minutes is like, oh, that is such a treat for me. And it keeps me like sharp. I can I can like, you know, tell a story in a succinct way. Yeah. Definitely. We're talking with Emily Belden about her new book, Hot Mess. We're going to take a little break and we come back. We will continue this conversation right here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. Hello, it's Amy Guth in for Brian Noonan today, with you until seven o'clock. We have been talking with author Emily Belden. She was here when her first book came out. It's called Eighty Six. It's a memoir. The full title: Eighty Six, a memoir about unforgettable men, mistakes, and meals. And I highly recommend that book very much. She is back now to talk about her debut novel, Hot Mess, which you should run. Do not walk, run and go get right away. But we've been talking about the writing process and the writerly world and all that good stuff. Um, and I wonder about um, the reactions that people have had to it so far and, and to maybe just to your writing in general that, that maybe surprises you. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, this book was written three years ago. Yeah. So, you know, to see it actually on a shelf three years later, you never know what you're going to get. Right. So one of the cool things was that when the advanced reviews were going out, um, a lot of the advanced praise was talking about themes that I had no idea. Really. I mean, I had an idea they existed. I just didn't realize they were so front runner. So one example is, you know, people are like, oh, this is like a great women's empowerment, almost like a feminist intro. Um and I thought, really? And I mean, I guess so, but it definitely wasn't something like I didn't, that wasn't a motivating factor in writing the book. But it's like, what it shows is like, you know, where we are in our culture today and the landscape of things, you know, what do readers want to pull out? And, you know, I think with things like the Me Too movement and Women's March and Equal Pay and all that stuff, you know, it makes it easier to pull those themes out today. I don't know if three years ago, if the book came out, if people would say that this is like a nice soft entry into the feminist world. You know, I just, right. I, I don't know. So that's super interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of writing is that way that in that we, when our, as our collective consciousness is raised a little, or when we feel maybe more, um, I don't want to say the word empowered because I have a contentious relationship mm-hmm. with that word, but, you know, more open or more aware of calling something out or saying something. So it's like when you learn a word when you're a kid right. and suddenly the word is everywhere. You you can find themes in other uh, in other spaces. So I think a lot of writing speaks to people in that way. Yeah, totally. So that was that was definitely cool. And I think another advanced price talked about this is the book that all entrepreneurs need entrepreneurs need to read. And I was thinking. again like okay yeah for sure I mean this really is at the end of the day I always look at Allie my character and think this is just the story of a girl it really is it's just following along with some 20 something that got caught in something that she shouldn't have and has to get her way out of it so I always look at it just kind of like this generic thing and I didn't realize that there were so many key like very pinpoint 
themes that people mm-hmm. take away with the entrepreneur thing. I, I guess, yeah, you know what? She does go into a business that she knows nothing about. It's it, it's incredibly cutthroat industry. Obviously, um, Randolph Street is our famed restaurant row, and if you make it there, that's like Madison Square Garden in New York, right? So, seeing uh, a character go from zero to hero on that on that area of our our restaurant map is you know I guess it is a very inspiring thing, and um, she's extremely strong willed. So. And she figures it out. So I, I, I definitely was like, you know what? That's that's a spot on one as well. That again, though, when I'm writing this, those aren't the themes in my head that I'm. Yeah. Like, I need to make sure I touch this point and this point and this point so that we get points for feminism, we get points for entrepreneurialism, right. and all that stuff. So it's just very interesting. What does the what does the readers today want to pull out? And then that's just as a writer being like, oh, aha, that's a, that's an interesting aha moment for somebody. And probably if you sat down and thought, I have this agenda, I need to promote right. in this book, it no wouldn't way. have worked no or, or wouldn't be picked up as no. obviously. Um, another thing is, I mean, obviously you touched on the book has some addiction issues mm-hmm. in it. And um, that's the character Benji, who's only really present in the first third of the book. But it sets a great base for what happens and why things are as you know crazy and destructive as they are. And I, th- I thought, um, you know, this is going to be one of those subjects that people are going to have a, you know, a comment or an opinion about. And funny enough, the only people who have reached out to me from industry, you know, I thought if people reach out for me from the industry, they're going to be like, oh, this is actually not how you run a restaurant. Mm-hmm. This is not how much this, you know, iceberg lettuce costs, things like that. But people from the industry, the only thing that they have said to me was how I nailed the addiction aspect Interesting. of um, Benji and, and of sort of the of that kind of, you know, hush, hush, dark secret of the industry yeah. world. So for me, I was like, that makes me feel very good because that's something that you need to get right. You know, yeah. you can't just sort of wing it like, oh, I think dating an addict would be like this. And just, you know, it's too much responsibility. It's too serious of a subject to just, you know, guess what that would be like and hope you got it right. So sure. for me, for to hear that back and be like, you absolutely nailed that was, you know, I will take that for sure. Has anybody in the Chicago restaurant community felt like it hit too close to home or did someone think they were in the book who in fact is not or no. something like that? No, I haven't. And I mean, I fully was expecting that stuff because I think that that industry, I'm not in it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I live over there and I walk by it every day, but I, I'm not someone that ever really got her hands dirty in there. So I was afraid for sure that, or at least I was expecting yeah. that that would be some sort of feedback, but I have not received that at all. Like knock on wood. Um, and chefs, the only chefs that have really commented one way or another, not even really in the Chicago area. I've had, it's been very well received in the Pacific Northwest and in LA and in Brooklyn. So hearing from people from complete other geographical locations that are in the industry, um, again, nothing but positive things to say about it. Yeah. Well, again, the book is called Hot Mess. You should go get a copy right away. But I don't want to let you leave yet because I want to talk to you about, let's rewind back Mm -hmm. to the memoir because Mm -hmm. it has done many things and had many adventures since you were here last. Tell us about that. So so the book, it got optioned for film, for a developmental deal. So we are in the progress of that right now basically what we're going to do is um, take the the themes in that book and sort of break that into episodes and we're going to work that into a digital series so it's not going to be verbatim it's not going to be you know verbatim with the things that happen in the book but definitely the same vibes and sort of like I said themes of being in your 20s and trying to figure it all figure it out and having no clue how to do that Um, but that is going to be a digital series called all of the nope and I'm going to contribute as a writer on that so that's a new form for me to write in again it's not sitting down and cranking out a hundred thousand words at a time it's you know three to nine minute episodes all dialogue uh very punchy very funny and and just 
authentic. So, you know, it's not going to be sort of that doom and gloom 20-something millennial mm-hmm. depression. It's going to be uh, something that you can escape and laugh and yeah. And it's so I mean it's that memoir for people who have not read it it's 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 little vignettes of dating. Right. And and it's so I mean so many of them you're like oh I've been there. Right. <laughs> like so many of them and I think that's why people really attach themselves yeah. to that book. So will there be update in it for to allow for like dating apps and things like that that weren't included in it. Yeah, exactly. I actually put out the most recent edition of that book um, just before Hot Mess came out about February of this year. And there's some areas in there that we did clean up a little bit just because what's funny is this content, I'm I'm 31 now. And when I wrote the book, I was like 23, 24. And that's definitely like the target market age, younger 20s. Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny because the older I get, the more it feels like, oh, my little sister wrote that or something. But it's still so relevant. You know, I still have these young 20-somethings that come to my book events and bring 86 with them and talk about 86 as they're being their Bible. (laughs) So yeah, I think that there's necessary little updates that need to kind of go in there just to keep that book pertinent. Um, Because the lessons in there, I mean, every chapter, even though it's something that kind of is cringeworthy, worst case scenario, I think what's cool about that book is that every chapter is a lesson learned. And you know, there's a little bow at the end of that too. So it's not just look how crazy my life was. It's like, what did I learn from that? And what can I, how can I pick up the pieces and move on? And I think that's what makes that book fun and interesting and so compelling to read. Yeah. And then I have to wonder about kind of the opposite scenario in in Hot Mess, mm-hmm. because here's someone who's working in social media. Right. And, and anytime we write about technology, there's always kind of a risk of will... Will it be as readable in a couple of years that, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with? As yeah, writers. little fun fact there. When we were just about to go to print, it was like final, final read. And I made the executive decision at the very last minute to update a couple of things. One of them was she made a comment about how she has to tweet something and she only has 140 characters oh. or less. And I was like, I think we need to update that because it's yeah. 200 and 280, 280 now. now. So I'm like, someone's going to read this and be like, this is old. It's yeah. already dated. It hasn't even come out yet. There was something I had in there about Gchat. Mm-hmm. Um, she was Gchatting with him. And they're like, well, Gchat doesn't exist anymore. It's called Google Hangout now. I'm like, well, I still call it Gchat. But I mean, if we're being technical, these things don't exist anymore. So I mean, little things like that, before the book even went to print, we just were like, let's let's get this as current as possible so that it's not already behind the times by the time it comes out. So. Right. I think that's always the struggle of including any kind of technology. And, it, and I think that problem only gets uh, more dire as we go because technology it's moves so, so much faster. Exactly. It's so insane to think that in a couple of years like will talking about Instagram be like passe I mean right. who knows I have no idea so. right very very interesting and so what is what is next what are you working on next what's on the horizon for you all that good stuff so when I sold Hot Mess to HarperCollins they bought another book from me as well that wasn't written um, it was just kind of a synopsis concept it's called Husband Material so that book is first draft of that is due May 1st for me so coming up here real quick um, it will not hit shelves until 2019 okay. but uh, it's another novel so fiction um, this the, this book is a little bit more complicated plot a little more complex but it's still extremely voice driven so you know the way I write is the way that I talk it feels like I just sat you down and for a real long cup of coffee and was like I have a story for you so it's going to be like that but the actual themes in it are a little bit of a departure from my comfort zone it's not something that I super have you know 
firsthand experience with or anything like that, but it's been an exciting challenge, and um, I'm excited to get that draft out. All right. Well, Godspeed. Yes. You've got that deadline looming over you. The book is called Hot Mess. It is by Emily Belden. And where can people go to find out more, buy the book, all that good stuff? book is at every Barnes & Noble right now. So if you prefer to go to a bookstore, um, head head to any Barnes & Noble. And if you want to get it online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble as well. There's also a lot of independent booksellers that are local um, that are picking up. I would just say give them a call before you go uh, just to make sure they have it. Otherwise, they can certainly order it for you. I was going to say, or demand that they carry it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for visiting with us today. Oh, yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll see you next time. All right. We're going to take a little break, get you news, all that good stuff. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. Hello. It's Amy Guth in for Brian Noonan with you another hour. So, lots of things still to do here in this hour of the program. It is Earth Day, as I hope that you know. And so we are celebrating that. And a little bit later, I want to hear from you after the 630 News. And I want us to talk a little bit about how things you're doing in your life to celebrate Earth Day all year, not just today, because that's not going to cut it. We got to do it all the time. But right now we are joined by phone by Susan Mudd, who is a senior policy advocate at the Environmental Law and Policy Center, here to talk with us about a really interesting story. And that is that Illinois is on tap to receive $108 million from the $2.8 billion Volkswagen diesel settlement. Now, there's a lot of contentious stuff around there, right? Anytime we start talking about money, immediately, it's never straightforward. So here to talk with us about that. Susan Mudd, welcome to the program. Hi, Amy. Hi. Nice to be with you. Thanks so much for taking uh, time out of your weekend to talk with us. So so talk us through this story and, and kind of lay the groundwork for us a bit for those who may not be familiar with the with the story and all of its details. Certainly. So first of all, happy Earth Day. Thank um, you. You too. We finally got a, a gorgeous spring day finally for Earth Day. Um so the the VW scandal uh, is is about the fact that VW installed what are called defeat devices, or what are now known as defeat devices, on thousands of cars in, sold in the U.S., including uh, many in Illinois. Those defeat devices allowed a number of VW cars to emit up to 40 times the allowable limit of a certain pollutant called nitrogen oxides. Nitrogen oxides contribute to smog that we have in the summer, you know, that yellow-brown scum that hangs in the air um, and makes us all have trouble breathing, especially people with asthma or other respiratory diseases. Uh, the scandal of these defeat devices um, was, was dealt with um, through a lawsuit that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and the California Air Resources Board uh, took on um, against VW, and they were able, um, because of that, that scandal, to get money for a number of things. One was to recall those cars, to get those cars off the road. Uh, so those cars are being bought back um, from the people who were unwittingly purchased them, thinking they were clean cars. Uh, secondly, uh, VW gets to control a pot of money that will be used to fund electric vehicle charging stations along in some areas of the country. And we can come back to that. Chicago will get some electric vehicle charging stations through that uh, part of money. And third, 
uh, each state in the U.S. is getting money according to the number of the cars with the defeat devices uh, that were sold or registered in that state. So Illinois stands to get $108 million, as you as you indicated, uh, Amy. So of the $108 million, so the Illinois EPA right now is in the process of kind of deciding how those funds will be spent. And that's where it starts getting really interesting, where there's a lot more... Um, perhaps a lot fewer rather options than we would think. It seems like a relatively narrow list, um, but they're try- it seems like they're trying to also narrow it kind of a bit more and, and really focus on where, where those funds are going to go. And then, so then enter uh, the Environmental Law and Policy Center who who has things to say about that list. So, so take us through that part. Okay. So you are correct, Amy, that the VW settlement has a limited list of things that the $108 million can be used for. And that is because, that's actually a good thing. The reason for that is that some you and, and your listeners may recall the tobacco settlement of some years ago. And each state then got money, um, and some of the money was spent on things that had nothing to do with reducing tobacco use. Right. So the people who did this, who carried out and, um, this lawsuit, realized that if, in fact, we were going to mitigate or diminish some of the nitrogen oxide pollution from all these VW cars, we needed to not just let states spend the money any old way. So they came up with a list of 10 types of diesel vehicles and equipment that could be upgraded or um, or replaced. Um, and it's because each of these, all diesel equipment um, puts out diesel fumes. And diesel fumes include this nitrogen oxides that I was talking about earlier, but also includes many toxic elements and substances which ride along with the soot particles in the, in the, in the diesel. You know, um, when you see a diesel bus or a diesel piece of equipment uh, go by, you often see that it's got a dark plume, and that's the soot which carries along all these other toxins. So there's 10 allowable uses. Um, it is clear from the settlement itself that those that the people involved understood that the best thing to do is to switch diesel out to electric. And the reason is, is that electric vehicles and equipment have zero emissions. So that the best way to reduce uh, emissions is to go um, from diesel to uh, zero emission electric vehicles. But they did give options. They gave options that are less polluting than diesel, but more polluting uh, than electric. And those would be compressed natural gas, propane, or hybrids, um, hybrid of, of diesel and diesel and electric. And within that, they gave 10 types of equipment, ranging from trucks, transit and school buses, ferries or tugboats, ocean-going vehicles, which we don't have here in Illinois, airport equipment, uh, forklifts, um, and then, uh, so those are, the, those are the main categories. You are correct, Amy, that... Um, there, there are a lot of competing uses thus for the money. We did analysis at the Environmental Law and Policy Center drawing on studies um, and found that the best uses of the money here in Illinois would be in terms of pro- protecting human health, reducing the amount of pollution, um, having the best costs overall over the lifetime of the equipment, and helping to change uh, to change the markets 
towards electric vehicles would be to invest Illinois funds in school buses, electric school buses, electric transit buses, uh, and what we call light-duty electric vehicle infrastructure, so charging stations. Those would be the highest priority uses of the funds. Uh, and not that all the funds need to be used that way, but those would be the highest priority um, items. Right. And, and, you know, the charging station part is so such a key point because I've heard so many people, this is just my own anecdotal addition here, but I always hear people say, well, I would buy an electric vehicle. I just don't know about the charging station. And I feel like that's a very, it's anecdotal, and it, but it's a it's kind of a mental barrier. I think people believe they don't know where charging stations are, and therefore they don't even entertain the idea of an electric car, which is, you know, that's a problem if we're trying to move people to electric. So we have to take a quick break, though. We're talking right now with Susan Mudd, who is a senior policy advocate at the Environmental Law and Policy Center. We're talking about a very, very interesting aspect of the Volkswagen case, which I'm sure many of you remember, and how that is impacting decisions being made right here in Illinois. Decisions she is a part of making. So we're going to be right back and continue this conversation with her here in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. Hello, it's Amy Guthin for Brian Noonan today. Well, my friends, it is Earth Day, and so it is very important to talk about environmental issues all year long, but especially today, we must do so. And so we are joined by phone by Susan Mudd. She is a senior policy advocate at Environmental Law and Policy Center right here in Chicago. She has been on the program before, and we are thrilled to welcome her back. And we were starting a conversation about uh, Volkswagen. You remember the big Volkswagen settlement? Lots of malfeasance happening, right? Lots of uh, bad decisions being made. So after that settlement, there was a large settlement of money. Illinois is on tap to get $108 million of that. And there is a lot of drama surrounding what is happening to that $108 million. And so Susan is here breaking that down for us and making sense of it all, which we really appreciate her doing. So Susan, I want to talk about um, a bit more uh, in depth about the um, the electric buses that we were talking about. And I also want to talk about the two bills um, introduced in the Illinois General Assembly. But first, I, I wonder, anytime we have big contentious issues like this, you know, we have lots of conversations and we, we throw around things like reaching across the aisle and things like that. But but generally, and, and from your point of view, anyway, what what is... What are people missing about this story or what are people getting wrong that's maybe choosing them to not, you know, or leading them to rather to not see the the whole story or see it in the most, uh, you know, productive light, in your opinion? So the Illinois EPA um, came up with a draft plan for how to use Illinois' $108 million without any public input. And we believe that that was a big mistake. Uh, last May, we were assured by the director uh, of the agency that there would be public participation, there would be either meetings or hearings or around the state. None of those occurred. So there were a lot of, or some small number relatively, a number of private meetings that were held. Uh, The environmental community was able to be part of one such meeting, Um, but really the people of the state have not been heard in terms of uh, what's most important to them to um, clean up the air quality in terms of reducing the pollution and protecting children and other vulnerable people. Um, One of the things that uh, is a result of not including the public is that unlike most other states, 
uh, Illinois is not putting the full 15% that it's allowed to put in for electric vehicle charging stations. Um, we don't know why, um, but that's not in there. One of the uh, other problems with the plan is that it allocates a huge amount, two-thirds of the money, uh, for what are called off-road vehicles. That would be like locomotives. Um, it's unclear why. In other states, the range is more like 15 to 25% of the money. Um, we, it's, it's unclear what Illinois EPA is assuming um, and, and why. So that's, that's a concern. There is one very good part of Illinois' draft plan, which I do want to highlight, and that is that the Illinois EPA allocated uh, 10% of the funds for electric school buses. That is something that we very much support, and I'd like to just explain why. Um, Children are among the most vulnerable to air pollution. That's because uh, children's lungs are still developing, and they breathe faster than, than we adults do. And diesel school buses, which is what over a million Illinois children ride to school every day, uh, Illinois um, school children are exposed to these diesel fumes every day. And although a school bus ride isn't that large of a portion of one's day, maybe 10% of the day, it's, it's responsible that riding on that diesel school bus is responsible for almost a third of the soot and, and, part, and particulates their child will be exposed to. And those are strong contributors to asthma, as, which is a, the number one chronic disease among children now in our country. And in Illinois, affects you know about 10% of children. And in some parts of Chicago, uh, where your, many of your listeners are, it's up to one in two or one in three children in neighborhoods. So it's really important that we get children onto cleaner school buses. Um, and uh, electric ones are the way to go because they're quieter and they have zero emissions. And so the Environmental Law and Policy Center had a demo uh, electric school bus that was that was touring around, I think, five or six states. And, and what were the results and, and conversations that, that were impactful and that came out of that? You're right, Amy. Last June, uh, we had a tour that started in Chicago. Um, at one of our CPS uh, elementary schools, and it went through four states. It uh, went from Illinois, um, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. And everywhere that this uh, electric school bus went, um, there were people who were interested to see it, were amazed at how quiet it was, were amazed at the quality of the ride, that there were no fumes. Um, and we had public health officials speak out in favor uh, utilities supported, electric utilities supported this, um, and, uh, of course, school officials and parents and children. Uh, what's happened as a result is that there's been a greater awareness of the possibility of electric school buses. Beforehand, there, there, there haven't been that many yet on the road, and so many people, including many officials who would be allocating the funds, hadn't seen them. Uh, and there's still not yet enough um, awareness of them. So we were really glad to be able to have that tour. It helped in Ohio, um, where uh, the Ohio EPA set aside uh, $3 million for electric school buses in its VW um, plan. And we are optimistic that given the um, 
really um, organized efforts going on in, in Michigan with the Association of Pupil Transportation as well as the state agencies there. We're cautiously optimistic that there will be money set aside in Michigan's plan as well. So between Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, um, we could end up with a really um, robust uh, number of, of electric school buses in the Midwest to help to transform the market and to get children into safer buses and to help that transformation nationwide. Yeah, and, and that that number I'm still stuck on the the number of how um, about asthma that I didn't I knew it was such a big issue for children I didn't realize it was quite that significant that that many children were were dealing with asthma. Um, what is the what is the cost issue associated with this? Because I know a lot of times when we're making upgrades for even for the greater good and for health in mind, pushback often comes down to dollars. What is the cost comparison of the electric school buses as opposed to the traditional ones that we have now? Good question. So right now, because there aren't very many electric school buses yet uh, on the road, the cost is significantly higher. A, a normal new diesel school bus is approximately 100000 and a new electric school bus at this moment is about 300000 However, they are cheaper to run. The fueling costs of going to electric are about, uh, you cut the fueling costs by about 40%. And there are strategies to bring down the uh, upfront cost. One thing is that if a school, for instance, was going to pay 100000 for a diesel bus, it could put the 100000 towards an electric bus. VW funds could be used to match that. And other, other funds um, could be used to help uh, to, to bridge the difference. Uh, for instance, in Minnesota, um, a utility there, Great River Energy, it came up with a one-third, one-third uh, cost, um, and they've done a pilot that way. Um, and there are, other, there are other possible strategies. And the other thing, Amy, is that as there are more electric school buses on the road, which there will be in short order, um, because now all the major school bus manufacturers now either have electric school buses on the road, like Lion and uh, Bluebird uh, has them as of this year, and the other two major manufacturers in the U.S. Um, have also had concept vehicles that were shown last year. So as there are more of them, the price will come down, as it does with other things. You know, when there are more of them out there, the price will come down. Right. So we expect and hope that they will become um, closer in price in the near future. Right. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I do want to check in uh, about some of the, the legislative pieces of this, because I know that's uh, something you've been very involved in. So, uh, Amy, there are a couple of uh, bills that are pending in the legislature that have been introduced in the legislature now looking at VW. One, and, and the VW money that Illinois has, uh, one uh, tries to uh, get the Illinois EPA or would require that the Illinois EPA set up a task force so that the agency hears from the broad uh the broad spectrum of Illinois residents who have not yet been heard from and who have not had an opportunity, a full opportunity, to learn about the VW settlement, to learn about the options, and to put in their two cents as to how that money should best be spent. Uh, the other um, the other bill uh, also uh, tries to focus Illinois EPA on, uh, on spending money on electrification as opposed to dirty, polluting uh, diesel and continuing uh, the old the old ways that we've had um, by just doing very 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 minor upgrades of of the of diesel equipment. Uh, so we are um, optimistic uh, that the legislature will 
uh, let the agency know that it's, it's time to hear from more people and it's time to really look forward and look towards electrification. I wanted to mention one other thing related to this action now, Amy, which is the Illinois EPA had a very short window for public comment on its draft plan, which unfortunately closed Friday, two days ago. Uh, but, but residents of the state can c- still call Governor Rauner and let him know their, their views, um, because he, after all, is the boss and uh, can direct the Illinois EPA to be more, more thoughtful in its plan. Uh, Governor Rauner's Chicago office number is 312-814-2121 for any listeners who are able to call and let, let the governor know their opinion about how VW funds should be spent here in Illinois. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Susan Mudd, Senior Policy Advocate at Environmental Law and Policy Center. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Amy. All right. All right. We're going to take a little break, get you to news, all that good stuff back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. Hello, it's Amy Guth in for Brian Noonan today with you till seven o'clock. So it's Earth Day, and we were just talking with our friends at the Environmental Law and Policy Center right here in Chicago. Uh, always interesting to check in and see what they're up to. But it's Earth Day, so of course we're going to check in with them. So there's lots of stuff um, I, I pulled together. I cobbled together a list, Roger. That's what I did. You cobbled like a one who makes shoes. You cobbled, cobbled together. I'm a cobbler of internet stories. <laughs> um, no, there's. Um, I found this really cool list, and it got me thinking. And, you know, it's easy to go down down the rabbit holes of things sure, on the interwebs. Sure. So I found this cool list of things you did not know that you could recycle. Ooh, okay. Because we all think about, I mean, here's the thing. This yeah. is Chicago, and we all know every time we put things in the blue bin, we're like, mm-hmm. does it really get recycled? Mm, well, you know? I know in one place it doesn't. Right, because it's I'm not gonna say where that mired is. in controversy, mm-hmm. right? Indeed. Yep. <laughs> but okay, so here's one that I will add to this list, and that is I just found out you can recycle um, unused or expired contact lenses. What? Really? Yes. In fact, some of the manufacturers have like a program where you can, uh, they'll like, you can give you, they'll, you can print out like a, a shipping label. Mm-hmm. They'll take them for free. Send um, them back, huh? Send them right back and they will, you know, just reuse them, break it all down and reuse the materials. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's which great is, recycling. Which is useful for me yeah. because I feel like every, 10 minutes my prescription changes and I need new eyewear. And I'm like, oh, no, I see fine. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. Yeah, sure. So that's a cool one. (laughs) Here is one I did not know, and that was you can recycle carpet. If you are changing the carpeting in your home, you can recycle. You don't, because I always see it in the dumpster. Right. And you think of it being like, you don't change carpet that's awesome and clean and wonderful. You change carpet when it's cruddy. Mm -hmm. Um, But... There is uh, the advice is out there the, that it just takes up so much space in landfills. Sure. Um, so there are carpet reclamation facilities. So Google that and you will find the one closest to you. A carpet reclamation facility. I like and that. many times they so I had to go do a little digging on them. Sometimes they will, uh, you know, break it all down, sanitize it, turn it into new fibers for other carpet. But sometimes it's completely other stuff. Sometimes it'll be oh, mel- melted okay. down to parts and uh-huh. like all kind of cool stuff can come from that. Well, then the word has to get out to those who come in and take out your old carpet to put in a new one so that they're not the ones dumping it into the dumpster. Right. Uh, it's it's either up to you to say, just put those outside, don't throw them in the dumpster, I'm calling a recycling place, or 
make sure the person putting in your new carpet does recycle. See, I think part of it is it is much more convenient Mm -hmm. to rip up the carpet and throw it out in the dumpster than it is to like, okay, maybe I'll have to roll it in plastic and walk it over to the UPS store. Like that sounds like a pain in the butt and no one's going to do that. And I think that's a barrier to a lot of recycling efforts is you got to make it easy for people. Mm -hmm. You know, even like the coffee pods, like Mm -hmm. Carig or like Nespresso has a big recycling program and they'll give you a bag with a prepaid label and you just have to like drop it off at a UPS center. But, you know, they make it very easy, but people that don't make it easy. Mm. Yeah. And also yeah. carpet is a lot bigger than coffee pods. And heavier. <laughs> and heavier. Yeah. Um, although I did, as we're saying this, I'm thinking of um, in my alley about a week ago, there was this gorgeous, beautiful, fancy rug rolled up mm-hmm. out there. And I saw it from afar and I was like, ooh, look at that. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Mama could use a new rug in the house, right? <laughs> and uh, I and I could see a note on it. And a lot of times people put things in the alley that just say like, you know, free to good home. Sure. Or if it's a TV, it'll be like, works fine. Just bought a new one. Um, I got closer to it. <laughs> it was like, got a new puppy. Pick up uh, at your own risk. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to not get that one. Yeah, I mean, see, sometimes it's a, it's a healthy need to replace carpet so not only is it heavy and there's a lot of it but who knows what's lurking within it Uh, right i mean that's a thing like pets aside like you want to you want to hit that with a black light because you don't know (laughs) you don't know what's occurred (laughs) yeah so there's that um okay other things on the list of 30 amazing things that you did not know you could recycle because some of the things actually should not be on this list because they're things we knew we could recycle like cardboard boxes oh yeah we know that we just have to break the box down unlike my next door neighbor who i always break the boxes down don't tell me they they throw the box in the garbage can still fully formed no they just put the full box still still put together um they just like throw it in the alley next to the cans and then what? it will rain and because the, they're not going to pick it up if it's like that. So it's like a, right now it's a pile of boxes and it's, that. I know. So yeah, I go out there. How hard is it? I know. You I go out there with my keys one side and do of it. it. I know. Just keep going. And also you like the Amazon shipping label is on it. So I know who it belongs to. <laughs> I know it's yours. So like I know who to direct the dirty looks to. Okay. Um, CDs. That's on the list. You can the CD case. Or just the CD? The whole thing. Oh, But, but particularly okay. the CD, because I, th- I think people think the CD case would be more obvious. But no, the CD, yeah. you can, in fact, recycle that. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, see, this one I think is controversial. So um, fluorescent light bulbs, I know that you cannot put them like straight up in the blue container, but IKEA will take them. IKEA will take, they actively collect fluorescent light bulbs for recycling purposes. Oh, they're the only ones? No, but they're, oh, okay. you know, that's a popular location where oh, right, millions right, right, of people yeah. flock every weekend. You, so. know, you would think that every hardware store in the country would do that for you. Because you, you can go to hardware stores and buy light bulbs. They got tons of displays yeah, and I'll everything. I'll bring you my old bulbs. Exactly. You can take, right. Maybe. Now, you know, the, the electric company, and I don't know if they still do this, but in the old day, long before you were around, um, says you. Thank you. <laughs> um, you used to be able to uh, bring in your old light bulbs and exchange them for new ones at the electric company. Yeah, no, that's not a thing. It's not a <laughs> thing now anymore. No, oh, no. All right. no. 
Interesting. And, and that was a form of recycling before we called it recycling. Right. Yeah. And let me tell you, I uh, and if you have like a uh, like a recycling thing or something you've done at home that has helped the earth, give us a call. Tell us about it. 312-981-7200. We'd love to chat about that. But here's the thing that like, let me talk about the this is really an exercise in my own laziness, Roger, is what this <laughs> is. But so I have cleanse uh, your spirit. I know I have to confess this. So I bought the uh, there's many varieties now of the you know, the eco bulbs now that last for years and years. Right. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I bought the ones that were on sale because let's be real. None of us got into this business for the vast riches associated with it. Well, I thought I did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so <laughs> so I bought the ones that were on sale and I was like, wow, this is a big sale. I'm yeah. going to buy the big box of lights because I have the I have lots of, you know, lamps and stuff, mm-hmm. but I also have the like ceiling. The overhead. Lighting. Yeah, sure. the overhead. Mm-hmm. And I and and my ceilings. I'm tall. I'm almost six feet tall. But even standing on tippy toes. Yeah, on top of my kitchen <gasps> chairs. No, no, no. Careful. That's well, all I have. That's the thing. Oh, I, right. I don't have any storage, so I don't own a ladder. I don't oh, have anywhere right. to put it. So I stand on my chairs. Even then, I'm I'm little bit. It's really a lot of drama for me mm-hmm. to change light bulbs. Is what I'm saying. Yes. So I get all the light bulbs changed because I you know waited. Until several of them had burned out, <laughs> and you could barely see them, and, right? Until at the point it was like, okay, it's eight p.m., and I've just lit, a, lit a candle to maneuver around my apartment. So I change all the bulbs, and I go in a turn, and, and I got the, I didn't get the warm, glowy ones. Oh, the, like the daylight ones. I got, yeah, I you got, got the soft, soft, that, soft white ones. I got the. I got the light blue fluorescent. They look fluorescent. They're not, but they look. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. It looks like I'm in a hospital. And oh, I was no. like, oh, but they were so inexpensive. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'll wait for, the, for them to burn out. And then I was like, no, these are going to last like 11 years. <laughs> oh, my God. So now I've got to like, I got, it's so stupid. But I was like. So you know what you do? I did so, the right thing and well, I'm being punished. Yes. Yeah. You So leave your lights on 24-7. <laughs> They'll burn out real fast. Our You'll friends. use up the whole box. You will feel like you've done something good. By by saving the ecology, uh, uh, and and you've used up your savings, and now you'll learn better the next time. Our friends at the Environmental Law and Policy Center were yeah. just tweeting that they were listening to the show. So right now they're like, <laughs> you know, we thought she was our ally. <laughs> we hate her now, and that baddish too. Wait a minute! I didn't buy the light bulbs. I buy the right ones. I'm You're okay. The, I bought the eco friendly ones. Yeah. You're the one telling me like, leave them on. Well, Use 11 be, years of a light they're bulb eco-friendly. in the next year. They're eco-friendly. <laughs> just because they'll burn your eyeballs out. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to keep my lights off and use candles. Oh, there you go. And let the next tenant deal with it. That's a little my mood plan. lighting. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. It, it, no, it is literally the opposite of mood lighting. <laughs> with the candles? No, no the, with the, the light bulbs. Are, yeah, the right, light bulbs right, right, in my apartment right. are yeah. the literal opposite <laughs> of mood lighting. Like... <laughs> Were I to bring a date to my apartment, yeah. it would be <laughs> they like would put scrubs on. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna peace out because this is the opposite of romance. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go is what would happen right now. So, but we digress. We're gonna take a break. Is what we're gonna do when we return. We're gonna keep talking about Earth Day, things you can recycle, things you should be recycling, and strategies to make your home a bit greener. Not just Earth Day, but all year long. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN, you know, before we return to our Earth Day discussion, let me remind you that you can win a family four-pack of White Sox tickets Monday morning between 839 with Steve Cochran right here on 720 WGN. That is a thing you want to do because who doesn't want a family four-pack of White Sox tickets? 
a bunch of people went Cubs fans just now with their radios. That's a thing that's real. I want them, but I can't win them. I know, right? We're yeah. ineligible for all the cool stuff. No, Indeed. Not. So it's Earth Day, and we have been talking about strategies to make your life a little bit greener. Roger and I may have had some tangents mm. about poor choices I've mm-hmm. made. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, how did I get? Well, uh, no, I didn't you were part the per- of the discussion. So anyway, <laughs> we have a caller. So be nice. Like, bring uh, yes. your manners, Roger. It's yes, good. Ma'am. So we, uh, we have a caller, and it is Tracy from Hinsdale. Hi, Tracy. You're on WGN. How are you? Hi, Amy. How are you? Good to speak with you again. Lovely to speak with you. What Good What can you tell us you. about about Earth Day? Well, pretty much, I recycle two things. Oh, and Happy Earth Day. I recycle the coffee and sugar pours, those containers. Mm-hmm. And what I usually do after I'm done with the plastic containers, I take the wrapper off put my own decoration on them, and use them for different things, wash them out in the inside real good. You mean like coffee cans? No, the uh, plastic uh, pour containers, like those Domino sugar containers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the little tab on it that you you pull. Mm -hmm. Some have the the screw-off tops. Oh, yeah, you can put all kind of stuff in there. Yeah, all kind of stuff like flour, uh, coffee... Even more sugar. <laughs> Just refill <laughs> with more sugar, right? <laughs> and the second is those cof- uh, the coffee cans, the usual um, coffee cans. Then when I'm done with them, I use them as flower pots. Put more soil in them and use them as flower pots. Yeah, you know what I do? I Those little bitty tomato sauce and tomato paste cans, I clean them mm-hmm. out and I'll start little seedlings in there because I'm a big plant person. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah those are good those ideas. Little seedlings are really good. Yeah. So make sure you put fresh soil in it and use, uh, use it for seedlings. Because I'm always thing, like giving out my plants, right? <laughs> Sorry, what was, uh, what's your other thing you do? Yeah. And lastly, I usually take uh, wood. You may find wood that people have thrown away. I usually make sure that the wood, those wood planks, mm-hmm. usually make sure that they're not rotten or anything like that. Make sure they're nice and clean. I usually saw them and create maybe like a cabinet or little shelves for my house. Oh, isn't uh, you're so handy. How nice. I have nowhere to saw anything, and I'm sure that my neighbors would be infuriated if I started sawing things in the alley, but I like your style, and I like that reuse. And, you know, like reclaimed wood is big business. Like people on Etsy and all kind of places make beautiful things out of reclaimed wood. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'm you so... To make sure, you just have to make sure, um, Amy, that they're... Nice and clean and not moldy yeah. or dirty or any insects in it or anything like that. Because you do not want to be building something and have a bunch of bugs. You really out. don't. <laughs> that will really ruin your day. Well, thanks so much for the call, Tracy. Thank you. You have a good weekend. Thanks. You and too. A good new week coming up. That's right. You do the same. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's a good strategy. So, um, Roger, are you handy? I don't think we've ever talked about that. Uh, hand, like construction yeah, handy? Build oh, stuff. yeah. Oh, oh, sure I do. Oh, I I'm build sorry. desk, I uh, <laughs> shelving, um, uh, whatever I can do. Yeah. I, I like working with tools. I like uh, building things. I'm, I'm not an expert at it. Uh, it's taken me decades to learn to measure twice and cut once. <clears throat> I can just imagine <laughs> you like swearing up a storm mm-hmm. for cutting something too short. Mm-hmm. 
and then doing the dumbest thing uh-huh. instead of like admitting your mistake, going back and trying to fix it again, like you know, getting more wood or whatever. Uh, I will force it to fit. Oh, Roger. Yeah, I know. Roger. I have I have some very wobbly desks and <laughs> and shelves. Um, yeah, that uh, people walk in and go, "Who the heck made that?" Yeah, and I proudly say, "I did." Yeah. See, and, I like doing that kind of stuff. I just don't have the space to do it because I, you know. Uh, actually, when I was teaching, I did a lot of construction because I built several radio stations and TV stations. Uh, so they would like put in the the furnishings like desktops and stuff but i would then have to go in based on the equipment we then got and drill holes and hang things and and wire stuff and drill through walls in order to do all the wiring and put all the equipment in well uh as we we head over to our new home across the river perhaps Mm -hmm. you could help them get everything sorted out i'm not union Oh, right, right, that's right. Not that union. You're not that, you're not the right union, <laughs> no. that's right. Well, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to find out what's happening in the next hour. So back here in just a bit on 720 WGN. And we'll forego the music. We'll just come right back and say hello. You want me to sing? Oh, will you sing for us, Roger? Okay, that's enough. Yeah, that is enough of that, in fact. (laughs) That is quite enough of that, in fact. Well, it is time for me to relinquish the wheel and turn it over to Karen Conti. Hello. How are you? How's it going? We never cross paths We never do. But it's really nice to be in the same studio with you. Indeed, indeed. So what do you have coming up on the show today? We are talking to Brendan Max, who is the uh, head of forensic science at the Public Defender's Office. And there's all kinds of new developments in DNA. Like, did you know you could take a little tiny bit of dna and people can do a composite sketch of what somebody looks like that's not quite you know it's pretty good wow and then it, it was the 25th anniversary of the waco siege in texas remember it's that? hard to it's imagine hard that to was 25 it. years ago remember that was 51 days of standoff yeah. and so we're talking to a hostage negotiator who goes around the country and does this kind of stuff uh, and talks people off the ledge and we're going to do a little mock hostage negotiation that's cool i feel like those are skills we should all have because we could use them in our lives and that's absolutely right because the listening and the empathy and all of those things are things we should be you're right yeah uh, doing in our daily lives we could we could you and use it for good not evil it's exactly right because right. we don't want to manipulate anyone no no but we could i feel like there you know there's some times where you're in a stressful situation yes. or i mean i think you'd even use that with like parenting and you know? business negotiation. Yeah. I mean, there are books written by these people that really deal with the, the business people of the yeah. world. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, I'll keep listening then. And you should Thank do you. the same, Have everybody. A lovely evening.